0: You're listening to the Douglas Jacoby Podcast. Here we bring you some of the material found on Douglas's website in podcast form. We hope that as you listen, you're challenged to think about faith. Today, Douglas continues his series on the Spirit. Now looking at the Holy Spirit, the New Testament. For more on this episode, follow the link in the show notes to Douglas's website. Now here's today's teaching. We looked at seven passages in the Old Testament that shed light on the Holy Spirit. Because the two testaments are connected, and we want to be great students of both testaments. Yeah, true, true. What's good for one class is good for another class. I mean, really, this all goes together. The Holy Spirit and the New Testament. And these are the seven passages I want us to look at in this next 30 or 40 minutes. And then once again, we should possibly have a little time. little time for questions at the end, okay? So we're going to be in Matthew, Luke, John, Acts, 1 Corinthians. As you can tell, I'm just going in order, the order of the books in your New Testament. Of course, this wasn't necessarily the order in the original New Testament, but it's the order of we follow. Oh, in the original New Testament, uh, there was an alternate order. Instead of going from Acts to Romans, you went from Acts to James. And then James, the Peter's, the Johns, and the Jude, and then Romans, and then all the Hebrews came after that. Just like the Old Testament ended in Chronicles, but it's not the order that's important; it's the content. The truth is, you don't normally read the whole Bible in order. You jump around. The principle then is to finish the book of the Bible you started reading, not to read the whole thing straight through. Oh, you can do that. I've done that many times. But that's not the point. The point is to know what's in it. Okay. So we're going to be looking at Matthew. See, that was a completely gratuitous, thing about the order of the ancient manuscripts. But when you look at ancient manuscripts, you notice these things. And you realize, well, wow, things are not always as they, they were. Matthew 7 is such a familiar passage. Most of us could have quote it. It's the Judgment Day. Jesus Christ has just talked about the false prophets. The false prophets... Who's, by, who, by whose fruits you'll know them. That's in verse 20. The false prophets who apparently reject the, merit, the message of the narrow road. 7:14. 14. These false prophets can lead us astray. And this is what we don't want to happen. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. For he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter By the way, this is all New American Standard Version. Almost always. is from NESD. In case it's different. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord. Or they're from Georgia, where I live. Law, law. Did we not prophesy in your name? It's prophesied, not prophesies. Okay, prophesy. In your name. And in your name, uh, cast out demons, didn't we? Didn't we perform any miracles? I'll declare to them, I never knew you depart from me. You practice lawlessness. It's pretty disturbing. What is it that makes this passage disturbing? What seems to be the evil of these lawless God haters? Well, it's not very clear because they have... They have these deeds that accompany their faith. The deeds accompany the faith, so it makes it not so clear. You'd think. Well, anyone who's taking a public stand for Christ, prophesying his name, and even driving out demons, huh? Right. Do you remember the people who are driving out demons in Acts 19? In the name of Jesus, who Paul preaches, we command you to come out people drove out demons who weren't even Christians Muslims drive out demons Buddhists have exorcisms so we think but I had this hot spiritual experience that I must be saved the point is and this is verse 21 verse 21 depart from me because verse uh, that's a typo that's 23 21 to 23 so that's 23. 21, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, but only the one who does the will. So these people aren't doing God's will. He's not saying that doing miracles isn't my will. There's something else. And I think the following passage it gives us to him, the following passage, which is verses 24 to 27. They weren't really building their house on a solid foundation of Christ's words. You know, if this bugs you, uh, one verse that can clarify... Uh, this verse here. This is verse 23, Matthew 7:23. It's First Corinthians 8:3. Do you know that passage? First Corinthians 8:3 says, "The man who loves God is known by God." Man, if I love God, then God knows me. So, if He says, "I never knew you," what is He saying in a way? About the relationship, you know, it was it was one sided, or it was imaginary, or the problem is not their doctrine was incorrect. The problem is they didn't love him somehow. First Corinthians 8.3 gives us a lens through which to make sense of first of Matthew seven twenty three. So knowing the Lord is what's important, not spiritual experiences, which we heap up and we love to tell to our friends. The second passage in the New Testament. And this one, like First Kings 13, I only refer to because of the length of the reading. But it's the parable of the rich man and Lazarus. you know this one? Some people bristle uh, when I call a parable, but New Testament scholars believe it's a parable. And I share about this in my, my newest book, my book on heaven, that just came out. In the first century, there were at least six or seven versions of this parable circulating. That, that the Jews would have known. And Jesus takes one and he gives it a surprise ending. But this parable is already out there. Whether it's a parable or not it doesn't really matter. But if you remember, the rich man is in the fire in Hades. He's 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 suffering some punishment. And he makes a request. What does he say? Abraham, send Lazarus, I mean, send, bring Lazarus back from the dead. Send him to my brothers, because they're a bunch of heathens. Abraham says, "Well, they have Moses and the prophets. They should listen to them." They have Moses and the prophets. They have the law and the prophets. They got the Old Testament. So to speak. They got the Bible. And he says, "Well, that won't work." Father Abraham, send a dead person to them. Then they'll believe. And Abraham and say, if they don't listen to Moses and the prophets, you know, if they're not motivated by God's clearly revealed Word of God, they will not come to faith, even if they see a dead man come back. Now if we say, wait a minute, that's counterintuitive. If I, if uh, well, I was at Joe's funeral on Thursday. And the following Tuesday, Joe said, Hey Sam, how you doing? I think I would change. and I would follow God. But actually this goes against human experience and the record, and it certainly goes against the Bible. The Lord showed the Israelites all kinds of miracles. And within days of the Exodus, they're grumbling. We have a short memory and a powerful ability to rationalize. And so it comes down to willingness to obey the word, not just some kind of experience. This is what spirituality is anchored to, not what you feel so much as who you follow. I want you to think about that as we go on to the third passage. This one in John underlines the, the huge difference between the two covenants. This is the Feast of Tabernacles and the last and greatest day and the Feast of Tabernacles is connected with water and at the last day the High Priest would pour out water and Jesus waits in the end and he's, he's pointing here to those uh, outpouring of the Spirit passages and he's pointing particularly to some key prophecies in the book of Zechariah which you've got to read and then you'll get the end of Revelation faces as Ed Anton was saying yesterday. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. What chapter in John does that sound like? Well, it sounds a lot like John 7, because it is. Sounds a bit like John 3. Verbally, just like John 4. Remember what Jesus promised her? He promised the Samaritan. She said, I want some of that living water. But it will flow out of you. Now this he had said about the Spirit. Whom those who believed in him were to receive. Now John 14 explains. John 14 says that when Jesus goes away. After his death. Then he and the Father will come to us. If we love him. If we obey him. Same thing. If we love and obey God. The Spirit will come and dwell in us. Live in our hearts. This is the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. It says, as yet, the Spirit had not been given. Now, wait a minute. Did the Spirit fall on Saul? Yeah. Didn't it fall on Othniel, Judges 3.10? Yes. The Spirit came on many people. He's not talking about a mirror. you not talking about the Spirit coming on someone. He's talking about the Spirit living in your heart. What we call the gift of the Holy Spirit. As yet, that is in the Old Testament times, The indwelling spirit was was not given. Because Jesus was not yet glorified. What does this mean? It's talking about his death, resurrection, and ascension. So until that happened, the spirit wasn't given. I can prove it to you. um, And you can prove it to yourself if you're writing down notes. Write down Acts chapter 2. Verses 30 and 33. 30 and 33. Okay. So the Spirit wasn't yet given. The significance is that in the Old Covenant, people didn't get the Holy Spirit in their heart, but in the New Testament they did. And that's a huge difference because in the Old Testament, you were brought up in the faith. You were brought up in the church, so to speak. You were a boy. When you were, it was your eighth day. to know the Lord because it wasn't your decision but in the new covenant they will all know me for the least to the, to the greatest no so longer a man teaches his brother or his neighbor saying know the Lord they all know me why in the new covenant would we all know the Lord because it was a personal relationship from the moment we decided to enter the covenant and that's one reason if the baptism doesn't work it's two Old Testament. To the New Testament, the point of becoming a member of God's people, from that point you know the Lord. Now, you still need help and instruction. For the Old Covenant, you just found yourself like growing up in the church, and you had to make that faith your own. In the New Testament, it was your own from the beginning. You see, that's a big difference, and it works a lot better. And Hebrews 8, verses 8 to 13, explain more about that chapter 2, which we will return to in the third class. It's the famous passage on speaking in tongues. At the day of Pentecost, there were Jews visiting as required. All uh, males were required to come to Jerusalem three times a year. And it would be a simple thing if they all lived in Judah. They would just take a day or two and walk to Jerusalem. But because of their disobedience, different nations. And through the centuries, they ended up living all over the Mediterranean world. As far away as Rome. Even farther. And so they had to come to Jerusalem. So they were visitors in Jerusalem from Rome. From Arabia. And all kinds of cool places. And when they hear Peter the Apostle speaking in languages, they are the 12 or 15 languages listed in this passage. Real languages. Not, not gibberish, but actual languages. Not nonsense, but sense. And this should be our starting place. I know there's a movement called the Pentecostal movement that loves... Oh, they are deeply in love with Acts 2, verse 4. Almost as much as we love Acts 2, verse 38. But it seems a little popped over, verses 8 to 11, unfortunately. The next passage, also from that same chapter. We read this. You know, Acts 2 is with kind of an ideal picture of what the the baby church life life. Devoted, excited, motivated, it's a great picture. Look at this. Awe or fear or reverence came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through every brother and sister and his grandmother. Ha huh. ha doing these who's doing the miracles and did you know in the book of acts there are no exceptions the miracles we look at the early church the miracles are apostolic that means they're done by apostles or they're done in the presence of apostles or through the agency of apostles Apostles are involved in every miracle in Acts. Can you think of one, or they're not? See, but So today, people say, well, we want signs and wonders in our church. Well, God will do. God still does miracles. No, we, we, we want it like it was in the Old Testament. I mean, in the early church, in the New Testament time. That's the way we want it. Well, then you're going to need some apostles. <laughs> of course, some churches say, we got them. We have apostles, so-and-so. So that guy knew Jesus. He was a, saw Jesus when he came back from the dead, and he was there at the time of John the Baptist. Oh, not that kind of apostle. We just called that. You're in office. I'm sorry. There are no apostles today. The Apostles are part of the foundational period of the church. Acts 2.20, I mean, Ephesians 2.20, Ephesians 3.5, Ephesians 4.11. Ephesians 4.11, Ephesians 3.5, Ephesians 2.20. Miracles apostolic. Alright. Next passage. <laughs> this is a, a passage that definitely stirred my heart as a young Christian, too. And, you know, some of these passages I've heard in church or I've heard in seminars, others... I never heard them used, but they they hit me, and I started using them because they were so useful in my evangelism. Okay, Acts 5:32. We are witnesses to these things. This is Peter and John, who we are witnesses, and so is the Holy Spirit. Look at this next line. God. Given to those who have a warm, fuzzy feeling in their heart. The Holy Spirit who falls on those who are predestined to salvation. The Holy Spirit, what does He actually say? Beads. You obey. Direct connection. We're going to have a very interesting weekend in just a few days in our church in Atlanta. A brother and friend from Chicago. His name is Steve Faith. We're doing an event for all of the Atlanta family of churches. On receiving Christ. Except at the end, Steve won't say, Those who want to be saved, raise your hand and say a prayer. He's actually showing how this incorrect teaching evolved in the United States in the 1830s. Not a scrap of anything in the Bible is supported. The last Bible study I had with a non-Christian was, was... last week, and that's actually what we studied. The Sunday on the sinner's prayer. I left him to mull over Revelation 3, you know, 14 to 22. And Steve's doing a whole section on it, which will be great. But that teaching says, if you when you just believe... Then the Spirit comes into you and you're saved. That is about 40% correct and about 75% wrong. (laughs) What about obedience? Well, where in the book of Acts does it tell us how to obey and receive the Spirit? Well, almost exactly three chapters earlier. You couldn't miss it. Right? Unless you were indoctrinated to this. Now, why are we here? Have we really made all this progress? or Are we at the last one? Why, sure we are. Excellent. So, 1 Corinthians 12, the last passage I want to talk about. But this is going to be a bit longer. And remember the Old Testament passages in Ezekiel about outpouring the Spirit? Joel says that one day, The day of the Lord. God will pour out His Spirit on your sons and daughters and they'll prophesy visions and prophecy. Isaiah 32 and other passages anticipate this time. The Spirit will be poured out. Think of water. John the Baptist compared his ministry to Jesus'. He compared it unfavorably. Said, you know, I mean I'm, I'm teaching the truth, but I'm nothing compared to this guy. He must become greater, I must become lesser. John 3.30, one of my favorite passages. Jesus must become greater. Douglas must become less. Because Douglas's problem is too much Douglas in his life. Yeah. Not enough Jesus. Yeah. He must become greater. That passage challenges me. The longer I'm a Christian, the more I know I fail. John the Baptist was so humble, he sent his own followers after Jesus. you like a preacher, you visit his church, he says, No, don't come here. You want to really know God, you need to go to that church. You go to the IPI book table and they say, Don't buy your books there. Go to the DPI table and buy books there. It's virtually unfair, right? But this guy is sending his disciples to Christ. Why do he do that? Because Malachi 3 says that when John the Baptist comes, he's preparing the way for the Lord. And after John comes, God himself will visit our plans. Malachi 3 and Malachi 4, incredible prophecies, but it's not direct enough. We can't look at it now. So John says this, I baptized you with water He is Christ I baptized you with the Holy Spirit no. He's not saying that, that Jesus won't use water Because Jesus did use water But the difference is When you were baptized by John You didn't receive the Holy Spirit Because John is still Remember John 7.39 John is still teaching in the Old Testament period John is the last Old Testament prophet Okay? I mean, in a way, in a funny way, the Old Testament doesn't end after Malachi. It ends 90 chapters later. It ends as Jesus ascends and then he pours out the Spirit, and now it's the New Testament. I baptize you with water, he'll baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Well, when the Spirit comes, there is a new creation. There's a new birth. You ever notice these parallels between John and Titus 3? And they're both verse 5s. Jesus said, Truly I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. To be saved, you have to be born again. John 3 3, John 3 5, John 3 7. You've got to be born again. And some, uh, some denominations say that water is not baptism. Water is when your mother's waters break. And the amniotic fluid gets all over the bed or the carpet or whatever. An embarrassing moment. When the waters break. But that, that's never used to refer to this passage. This passage, John 3, 5 was uh, commonly quoted in the early church a friend of mine did a study of every reverence to baptism in every Christian document in the first 500 years of the church including a study of baptistries Christian art inscriptions letters, documents everything that. That's why his book was almost a thousand pages long. <laughs> well, why I started to read it and I stopped after page one hundred and fifty. I didn't come back to it for another year or two. <laughs> but I didn't finish. It. I didn't finish it because, like the Bible, I wanted to be able to say yes. I looked at every single reference to baptism in the first five centuries. This passage, John three five, is always used referring to baptism in water by which one is born again by which one sins the by which one becomes a Christian never ever is anything else yeah. and so the amniotic fluid explanation doesn't work it never yeah. did work anyway <laughs> the early church would have been really nonplussed by that, that, that idea well Titus 3.5 very similar look at this he saved us not on the basis of deeds we've done in righteousness like we're so hot but according to his mercy how? by the washing of regeneration, renewal by the Holy Spirit so that rebirth, that being born again, involves the Spirit not just water, but the Spirit Okay, how many births is it? before you were a Christian you needed cleansing, you needed a bath, just like I did and when God uh, redeemed you when he washed you how many births did he give you I, I know maybe some of you haven't been baptized yet and to me that's really cool that there, there are a number of people attending the conference who are considering that decision but for those that have did you have one birth or two or four or, how did that work and did it involve what did it involve the Spirit? Yeah, it wasn't you got born of water and then you were born of the Spirit. It's not like you were baptized in water and then later you were baptized in the Spirit. It was one birth. Think about that. I'm sharing my opinion now because not everyone agrees. More on that in this little DVD, which can help your friends if they're struggling with this. But I want you to see the connection, the connection between baptism in the spirit and the water. This is called baptism the water that divides me. This is what Paul says. In the church study, we like to use 1 Corinthians 12, but sometimes only use verse 12 instead of verse 13. Even as the body is one, and yet uh, the body, the church, has many members. All the members of the body, though they are many, are one body. So also is Christ. Come back. Come back. Come back. <laughs> For by one spirit, we were all baptized into one body. Whether Jews or Greeks, slaves free, we're all made to drink of the one spirit. So baptism is it's a, it's outpouring, it's immersion, it's also a drink. It's like the, the spirit goes inside you. You drink the Spirit. Once again, by one Spirit we are all baptized into one body and we are all made to drink of one Spirit. So, I know there are different ways to look at this, but to me it makes sense that being baptized in the Spirit is the same thing as becoming a Christian. Because when you are baptized by the Spirit you become part of the body. So you're not even part of the church. You're not part of the new covenant until you've been baptized by the Spirit. Because that's, that's that's what makes Jesus' baptism Jesus' baptism and not John's baptism. Interesting thought. And perhaps that provokes some questions for the remaining 10 minutes or so of this session. What did we just look at? We looked once again at seven passages that I think can be helpful for us to understand God's working in the New Testament. Why seven? Just for convenience. I could have added another seven. I probably should. I probably should have had John 14 in there. When the Spirit comes into us. When we obey God. But it's on his terms, not ours. I probably should have had some passages from the other letters. Not just 1 Corinthians. But it's a beginning, and I want us to see that we can know God through His Spirit, and we do know God through His Spirit. And the New Testament gives us encouragements and warnings. It's what we need. These are principles we need if we're going to make it in the battle. Okay. Points of clarification, confusion, disagreement, or just idle curiosity. I see the man in the Uh Yeah, I grew up in a Pentecostal church for like the first 18 years of my life, I guess. Uh, so of tongues, a I, have be about. Uh, I go home from college like, on vacations, to that church week or two, and I see with genuine faith and great faith t- tell me like it's real and stuff. And then it's like okay, you, you came from a background where people spoke in tongues, and and you would go back and you would hear. we have a section on that in the next class. And uh, so I may put you off. Okay. Uh, I'll be here next class. Okay. okay but it's a question I can tie into this one. Uh, I guess like what is your Well, I can be the that. We're going to look at it at more length the next step. My interpretation of what they're they're doing is that it's psychological. It's not it's not miraculous. The Mormons speak in tongues. I've read the Book of Mormon. It's all over there. They speak in tongues. And and, why do Muslims speak in tongues too? It's exactly the same as what you heard in your, your church, your Pentecostal church. It's been studied. It's been recorded. It's been analyzed. It's been translated. Though it can't really be translated. Occasionally, You'll have five syllables that'll match up and, wow, that was French. But it sounds like the fulfilled prophecies in the most about it. The Pentecostal prophecies eventually, a couple of them, oh, okay. But the rest of it is 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 Jewish. That's the short answer. The long answer is in the Bible. We come back to it. Bible. Romans 1. Um, I've come across a lot of people that ask, like, when you get baptized, at what point does the spirit, like, enter you? And people ask, at what point does the spirit enter you? Mm-hmm. Um, whether it's, like, you know, touch the water, when you're fully immersed. Is it when you touch the water, when your body's half in the water, do you have half the spirit? Are you three water saved? If your torso, is and if your hair sticking out? the it some of his forgiveness and, the, and especially the, the, the problematic elbow, which requires late night secret rebaptism. Just <laughs> <laughs> in case. But certainly, the apostles would, would have rebaptized anyone whose elbow was sticking out because the God of love, would, we wouldn't want the God of love to send people to an eternal fire because their elbow was sticking out. Right? <laughs> Because we know him. We don't want to mess with him. Now, you, you're actually asking me how much has to be under the water? Um, you no, know, more like, like, is there a specific time? Cause I, I don't think that I've seen in, 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 in my readings that there was like this. A specific time. It just says you've got to do it. You know, it's, it's, it's illustrated by that, that, that Old Testament passage. Uh, and it's actually quite similar. If you want to talk about the sinner's prayer versus New Testament immersion. I'm referring to 2 Kings 5. You know the passage. So Naaman needs cleansing from his skin disease. Naaman comes and he thinks the prophet, the prophet Elisha, will come and wave his hand over him like, you're clean. But Elisha doesn't do that. He tells him to dip in the river Jordan seven times. Now, so you could ask the question, well, after the fourth time, was he still 43% leprous? know, after the sixth time, did he still have 14.2835% repeated uh, skin problems? Or would it all come back if he hadn't got back within seven minutes for the last dip? You can ask that. But I think the point is he needed to obey. He was intentionally saying, I'm going to just go under six times and we'll see what God does. That would be the wrong attitude. If he was doing, to the best of his knowledge, Uh, to to obey, he was doing it going under seven times I I assume his leprosy would be taken away I would have a hard time believing that if his elbow sticked out one time that God would say nah especially if he was even unaware (laughs) but that's a deduction I I think that's reasonable knowing what we know of God and that the Lord is sometimes flexible and he's a gracious God yeah. <laughs> and he's even forgotten some of your sins. <laughs> That's how it's put. I'm going take sister's hand. Smiling in the blue. Hi. Um, is there a difference between um, obeying the Word of God and listening to the Holy Spirit? Is there a difference between obeying the Word of God and listening to the Spirit? Not much. Not much. Um, we obey the Word of God. I mean, obeying the Word of God may you ignore the Spirit that'd be confusing if all in the Spirit made you disobey the Bible that'd be weird like the, okay, the gay guy I was reaching out to a Harvard, and, and I said look you, you said you believe in the Bible you said you're spirit filled I know and I showed Romans 1 and he said I know so isn't that inspired by God I said yeah it's wrong for other people but the Spirit tells me it's okay for me See, when we're using our experiences to bypass the Word of God, that's wrong. Now, could God encourage our soul and minister to us a little more directly? Sure. But I'm just saying the way it's normally described in the Bible is it's, we listen to the Word, especially as it's mediated by prophets, by apostles. You've got to be careful. When you start wandering away from the apostolic message, you get into some funky places. Yeah. Okay, I'm gonna go on this. We're just gonna go back and forth for a few more minutes. I don't know. You're patient, number three. Yeah. (laughs) Could you expand a little more on the uh, the two baptisms, like the baptism of water and the two baptisms? Or like the I'm sorry. John's baptism. No, the baptism of water. Yeah, what I'm what I'm saying about the baptism of water, baptism of the Spirit, is that it's the same baptism. Right, but I've, I've heard a lot of my friends were like, no, I have, I've experienced baptism of water, and then later I was what I was taught, when I was in, in the, you know, when I was in the, the charismatic movement, is I was saved when I asked Jesus into my heart. Right. And they asked me, did you feel him come in? And since I said the prayer at two in the morning while I was holding the hands of a, almost a complete stranger in a dark church, <laughs> I did kind of shiver a bit. It was pretty weird, so I said, yes, I, I felt him come in. Then he said, "Now you're born again." That was uh, January. In May, they said, oh, "We're having some baptisms. Do you want to get baptized?" They even read baptism passage. I said, "Sure." And then, after that, then they put me under pressure to get the Holy Spirit back. They kept asking me when I, every time I can "Did you speak in tongues yet? Did you speak in tongues? Did you speak in tongues? Do you have the Holy Spirit baptism?" I said, "No." So what they're doing is they're, they're assuming that tongues is for today. But they're, they're saying that you get saved, but that's not really connected with water baptism. And then they're also saying that the second blessing, the spirit baptism, for those who want to witness more powerfully, those who want to really be d- disciples, that that spirit baptism is yet another effect. And so the tendency of a lot of modern uh, Christianity is to take the simple, organic unity of the Bible and chop it into a thousand pieces. So they separate faith and repentance and baptism, becoming God's daughter, being renewed, being regenerated, being adopted, being redeemed, becoming a member of the covenant. You know, you can use all this language, but biblically, you respond to the word once you hear it, Romans 10, in faith, it makes sense. But that faith leads to a decision called repentance. And that culminates in baptism. And it's a process that's not unlike marriage. Oh, one of my friends wrote a book called uh, Baptism, the Believer's Wedding Ceremony. Now sure, you've got a relationship with God. But if you're not actually baptized, you're, it's like you're not married. See, yeah but it 's great, we live together, and it, yeah, but it 's not quite legit, yeah, but we love each other in our heart i 'm sure you do, but you need to get married well it 's just a symbol, well, yeah, marriage is a symbol it 's highly symbolic, but if you don 't do it, you 're living in sin, and you can do better than that, okay, baptism the believer's wedding, so go to my website, click on books, click on recommended books, click on Then it's baptism, all the cool baptism books you can read, including the 1,000-pager. Don't start there, by the way. Okay, does that help you a little bit with this? So they say spirit baptism is later. I'm saying in the Bible, no, it's not. When you become a child of God, that's it. Ephesians one three, you have every spiritual blessing. You're not missing anything. So is it more so reasoning with them on a... just kind of talking like... You know, it's it's one. You know what I mean? Because I mean, they always point to they're like, well, this is and you know, in John three, it's like you have to be born of water and they say water and the Spirit. Right. So it's like it's like they almost like they separate them. Right. And that's why I say I say, well, here's the parallel passage in Titus three. Right. Both parts are talking about becoming Christian. It's not two births. It's one birth. Right. Okay. It's one birth. Or that that little DVD baptism the believer's wedding sermon, I mean baptism, the water of Advice traces the history of the disagreement about this the Greek, the changes throughout the course of church history, the scriptures what about God making exceptions How are, what are the different understandings I think we have to examine that and be humble enough to say yeah, okay, we could be wrong but also humble enough to say, God's scriptures are pretty clear on this. And he, he can make all the exceptions He wants, but the scriptures are pretty clear. I promise you, there's no sinner's prayer in the New Testament. Right. There's no sinner's prayer in the New Testament. There is getting saved through baptism. That's all over the place. Um, on the aisle, in the. Yes, yes. Um, this is more uh, along the line of not getting the Spirit, but like, like the Spirit leading us. Is it possible that we have apostasy? that you actually God uh, takes the Holy Spirit from you and if so I guess if you're God then you speak to the faith ok so if you walk away from God yeah. the deposit of the Spirit Second Corinthians 1 the deposit he takes it away uh, and then so when you come back to the Lord you get baptized again and if you have a really really bad weekend you have to get baptized again on Monday. And you leave it. He keeps taking the spirit back. I don't think so. The language of the Bible is that the spirit can be grieved. Grieved because it's not, an essence, a fluid or a power. It's personal. It's the spirit of Jesus and his Father. This is the spirit of God. It can be grieved. And the other language is uh, quenched. It can be quenched. But if you have become a Christian and you want, you're talking about someone who wanders away. Someone and you, and then you come back. No, you do not have to be rebaptized. No, you wander away. And wander away is the best way, I think, James 5, the best way to put this. If that problem is if you say fall away, you're making a, a severe theological judgment. Because according to Hebrews 6, you couldn't come back even if you wanted to if you fell away. But you wander away. And then we leave it to God. But no, we don't do a fresh baptism every time you have a rough weekend or a bad decade or whatever your interval is. Okay. Um, a couple more I'm trying to mix it up a little bit it's always hard with people in the front row because you know you don't want to be scary right, I'm going to go to the gentleman in row six. Uh, I'm sorry not you <laughs> you're, you're row 7 sorry yeah, I, um, so in one of the letters that Paul writes he talks about orderly conduct in the church you're row 7 though Oh, Speaking of water, oh, okay, go ahead. <laughs> 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 you see, the kind of Church, a lot of things he talks about is um, if you have a like, prophecy. First, again, 14, one prophet can be quiet, hold his tongue. Yeah, we should control I'm like, I can't help I myself. I'm quicker than you. So my question is, like, um, so maybe gifts still happen. Because, like, I don't know anybody who's, like, in church, like, I have prophecy. And they start there are some groups that believe uh, strongly in tongues and prophecy and these miracles who actually try to honor what Paul said. They're very rare. Most of them like a bunch of, like a bunch of animals all running for the bootfall. They're all <laughs> prophesying, prophesying without courtesy. They're all speaking in tongues simultaneously. I just think it shows a contempt for God's work. But there are actually some groups who, who, who try to obey what Paul said, but very few. And Paul forbids, actually church, Paul, this is when they had genuine talks. He it in church, no speaking in foreign languages, none, unless it's translated. And never simultaneously. And maximum two people doing it, or maybe three, if you have to. And these rules are just a cloud process. And then we'll come to row one, and that'll be it. So, in the last class you talked about the uh, being guided by the Spirit relating to Paul and the prophets in um, the Old Testament. Now we have God's Word, and so does that, that replace the prophets? That's not my question, but I'm on my track. So now we have, we have God's complete will revealed, not just in the Old Testament the New Testament. The New Testament is built on the foundation of the New Testament apostles. And the New Testament prophets as well. This is Ephesians 2.20 So God used the New Testament apostles and the prophets. And that's the foundation of the Old Testament lawgiver Moses and the prophets. And so we don't need the prophets today. It doesn't mean that God couldn't give us some guidance today, but there's, the faith is not incomplete. The faith is been once for all delivered to the saints. Jude. Jude says that in the first paragraph. So, yeah, I think you're on the right track. Okay, so church culture seems like a lot of times we to hear, like, we know God's will through the Bible, and so it's not necessarily the Spirit, but through, we have the Spirit being led by the Spirit through the Bible, but then we also here like, through people as well. Do you see that in New Testament? Do you see that in the Bible? Yeah, the New Testament seems not totally clear. Like, you have, I did this in a podcast that I just last You've got the, the leaders of the church at Antioch, they're, they're fasting and they're worshiping. And somehow the spirit speaks to them and they decide to send out two of them on a mission. it doesn't tell us how the spirit's spoke, But apparently all they all came to a conviction, wow, we didn't do this. I mean, maybe they were they were they were just praying about the different countries and they realized no one's there. Wow, we're we got five, we can send out two. Yeah. It just became clear that the Lord told us to take the word to all nations, and although maybe it was something more miraculous, not just logic, it's not maybe was what God was saying. You um, have to tell Meredith to, to, to call later on. I'm um, just too uh, decline. Okay, sorry, girl. It's not my fault. But I am very grateful to the one who spawned it. Um, yeah, so then after that, um, God speaks to us in different ways. All right. We're going to take one last one, Uh, Mrs. Jacoby, Mr. Jacoby. This, well, you said that like demons, like even Muslim people are people who aren't, like they don't have the Holy Spirit, they can still drive out demons. Some Muslims drive out demons, that's right. But there is a passage in New Testament that two men try to draw out a demon and they say in the name of Jesus Christ. And the demon like laughs at them and says, like, I don't know who you are. I know Jesus, but I don't know you. Right, I was referring to Acts 19, that's right. And so they were unsuccessful, but it said they had been driving out demons. And there's another passage in Luke 9, another one in Mark 9, where people outside of Jesus' movement are exercising. So why is it that certain like that at that time they weren't able to drop In Acts 19, why couldn't they? Yeah. Uh, like even... I don't know exactly why they couldn't do it, but I know that they got a beating. They ran out of the, out of the house... Uh, they didn't have all their clothes and they've been wounded severely and it's comic, and it shows the difference between the, the, the cheap imitative power of those who would be you know God's servants and, and those who have the genuine article which is a lot more modest not all these words and formulas and staging and drama but a simple word come out of them. not we all have to pray and fast for a few days and, and say words in Latin and, and say the right formula and close your eyes and say abracadabra it wasn't like that It's just out of it it's it's not it's not fancy true faith is usually a lot less showy than the the versions versions that compete with it okay we hope you enjoyed douglas's series on the spirit for additional notes and resources be sure to check out douglas's website in the show notes the website has hundreds of articles podcasts and videos for you to access for free You can also become a premium subscriber and gain access to thousands of online resources from Douglas' teaching ministry. Thanks again for listening.